Welcome to Inspiring Health with Dr. Roxana Gabster, President and CEO of WellSpan Health, as she hosts candid conversations about organizational culture, value, and other pressing issues we face in healthcare and business today. On this episode of Inspiring Health, we're talking about driving greater value in healthcare through physician leadership. I'm joined by Dr. James Harvey, Vice President and Chief Medical Officer of WellSpan's Heart and Vascular Service Line. He's also a practicing interventional cardiologist. Welcome, Dr. Harvey. Thank you very much, Roxana. Excited to be here. It's great to have you on the podcast again. I know we're both passionate about leadership, and we're just one year into a new model here at WellSpan. We've structured our teams with consistent physician leadership over our clinical areas, and I know you've been really enjoying it. How has it been going so far? It would be cliche to say busy. So I will say uh, good, humbling, and exciting. I'll focus on the humbling. You know, we're doing a lot of great things right now, and, and you know about basically all of them. But we have the ability to do something that's truly world class, uh, but we've never done it before. You know, a lot, and I think we're not the only health system facing the, the, the excitement and the challenges we're facing, but the reality is we're trying to do something that's fairly uh, uh, great in scale and great in, in opportunity. And so it's a lot of work to do, but it's exciting and it's humbling. Oh, well, thanks. Uh, we're lucky to have you here at WellSpan, James. We know healthcare is in a state of transformation right now. And as an industry, we center around the triple aim when we think about our goals, providing the best quality and safety, best experience and lowest costs, plus great team engagement and equitable care for all. So it's an incredible aspiration and one that takes exceptional leadership every day. It requires sharp business acumen and strategy as well and demands culture change and innovation. So we need to be thinking differently about how we provide care with a patient-focused vision. It just makes sense to have physicians as partners in this work. I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, it kind of goes back to the adage, adage it takes one to know one. Um, you know, we talk about we talk about the triple aim. Really, we talk about, about you know, it's all centered around the patient. Uh, but when you talk to physicians, you know, we've talked about quality ever since the existence of medicine. And really, it's been a couple of decades we've been talking about patient care and patient satisfaction. Value isn't new, uh, but it's newer. And, and really, when, when you, you know, we look at value, we start talking about quality over cost and that sort of thing. I mean, doctors, you know, as you know, from the beginning are taught to be autonomous. They're taught to be, you know, that they are the, the last, the first, last line of the defense around a patient. They're ultimately responsible for everything, regardless of what happens. And so anytime that you want to start talking about something, you know, the, the hair on the back of the neck can stand up. And so really, when you put it from the perspective that that really, you know, again, this is all centered around the patient and that ultimately, you know, is the, I've heard many times, no margin, no mission, and you can't deliver care if you can't deliver it equitably. So, so you know, Having a physician in a leadership role, you know, helps one, it keeps the trust of the physicians. It keeps them in perspective about, you know, ultimately recognizing that you're always, you know, that, that that's what is around. And and part of that is that, you know, WellSpan, that, you know, your vision of this was that we're not uh, clinicians who keep one toe in the water one day a month. I'm 40 to 50 percent clinical. And so that keeps them real kind of street credibility, if you will. And, and it also, you know, reminds the people that are working with you. And I wouldn't say that they report to me. I work for them and that, to enable them to do what they do. And so really that it, 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 it keeps one, the trust that we're, you know, yes, we're focused on the patient, but it's in the benefit of the patient to keep the higher vision level about this. When we're looking at, you know, the triple aim. It ultimately, um, you know, it keeps the trust in it and it makes sure that the focus is, is always centered around the patient that is at the bottom of everything we do. Oh, that's great, James. That's exactly why we knew the next evolution of leadership at WellSpan needed to prioritize physician leaders. 
There's been historically a strong track record of clinical leaders here at WellSpan, but it wasn't consistent in every clinical area. Today, all of our service lines are led by dyad partners, one leader responsible for the clinical aspects and the quality and one for operations. Can you tell me a bit about your own experience of working in a dyad partnership? I think that is the most germane um, and I would argue the most difficult and growing part of this role and, and the most rewarding part of it. And it was very clear by design in this in, in the dyad relationship that there weren't specific guide rails put around it because different diets have different strengths and weaknesses. But, it, it, you know, and I, I will admit me coming into this role, t- typically with that, that physician mentality, I was a little bit like a bull in the china shop. And so uh, and I and, and you know. Ultimately, you realize and you realize more than I do that anytime you get to this level of leadership that there is there is so much to be done. And there's so, you know, ultimately, you know, you're responsible for a health system or responsible for a service line. And it's, it's in our nature to get into the weeds. And sometimes you have to, but it is impossible. To, if you try to do everything, you're going to be in a, remarkably ineffective at everything. So you're going to have to be able to say, these are what I'm going to focus on. This is what you're going to focus on. There's going to be a lot of synergy. And that comes down to trust. And it, it's, it's been, it's fairly short. I've been in this role for just over four months now. And I've worked for a long time with my dyad, who, you know, I have a lot of respect for Chris Lip and he's been, you know, tremendous in getting me up to speed. But really, you know, it took, it kind of hit both of us that we had to really trust that when I'm not in the room, when I'm handing this to you, this is what you're going to do. And I know you're going to do it with my intent and I'm going to do the same thing. Once we start, once we hit us, that that's what it came down to. Then the ability to innovate, the ability, you know, the continuity of vision of, you know, when you're in the room, when you're not, has been unbelievable. And I'll give one example of this. We recently put together a valve clinic, not just, you know, I've been involved in the transcatheter valve program, but all valve clinic with our surgeons, et cetera. And we have, you know, as we're growing, we have patients coming from the West, from the East. And so we realized, you know, it makes sense to have a, a you know, the, I knew the clinical aspect of it. This is what we need to do. We should do it like this. We'll make it better for patients. And Chris said, you know, you're right. Wouldn't it make sense to have the slots for the CAT scan lined up this, et cetera? And I won't get into all the details, but I said, yeah. And so his ability to operationalize something I was trying to visualize really was not like a part of it, but the part of it. And so in the end of this, we found out that we could get patients coming in one visit, get their CAT scan, see us get see me and the surgeon come up with a plan and they're leaving with with everything done in one visit so what had happened there well we we did it in less time less time to get them the care they need that's quality we did it in less time for them that's the patient experience and by the way we did it at 20 30 percent less operating cost than we did before that's quality that, that's that's value and that i mean that is the triple aim and so it's based down really to the to the benefit of the diet relationship oh well, that's a really great example You know, I often draw on my own clinical background, too, as a nurse, and it gives you a different perspective as a leader. It's a combination that can allow you to lead with firsthand knowledge of key processes and barriers to overcome to achieve your vision. And I'd like to get your perspective on the triple aim, James. Uh, Physicians as partners in keeping people healthier and providing greater value in healthcare. you know, we often talk about our goals to reduce variation, remove waste, provide the right care in the right setting. How do you think physician leadership impacts those goals? I think physician leadership is imperative for just this reason. The triple aim is right because it is centered around the patient. It's centered around good care. But like I'd said before, you know, the, the, you know, all providers, all healthcare workers take, take physician care and or excuse me, patient care and patient quality to be the highest thing. And it's a little bit of a stretch sometimes to see how, how the best care for the best cost, for the best care for the best value, the best care focusing on not only that the patient receives good care, but that they believe they receive good care are all equally point, important. They're all part of the same thing. And I think part of the danger and what has, has sometimes happened with, with, with good intention, but maybe not the right uh, execution is it's easy to focus if you talk to value as quality over cost. And sometimes the easiest denominator to focus is on cost. 
And so, you know, physicians often need to hear the perspective and providers need to hear perspective of we're talking about focusing on waste, which we all can agree is good quality. And even if you go back to, you know, we, I know we, we implement a lot of the, the, the teachings and the, and the, 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 uh, the, the skills of the lean, uh, using lean mentality, you know, using those techniques. And if you go back to the origins, looking at W. Edward Demings, et cetera, the Deming cycle, if you talk about quality over cost, you know, the focus there is, is you know, we eliminate waste and you focus on quality. And qu- part of quality, you can, you can demonstrate to your physicians, part of quality is efficiency. Part of quality is, re- you know, reducing the waste that we need to do. Standardizing things for a standard approach to things that doesn't negatively impact, but benefits it. And ultimately, even Deming noted that if you focus on quality, a very soon indicator after after this is cost. And I can tell you even in several of the programs I've, I've had the privilege of being involved in that I, I got we got uh, nimble enough at it that I would look at our, our, our contribution margin. And I could tell you by our finances what the quality of that month was because good care is cheaper than bad care. Flat out, it's been repeated every time. And so this is the right approach. And having a, a, a physician in a position of leadership, uh, I think, helps uh, demonstrate this to the people in the front lines. Yeah, that makes a, a ton of sense, James. You know, when we conceptualized the dyad model, it was purposeful to have physician leaders providing direction and oversight for the field in which they practice. You know, as you know, our, a previous model here at Wellspan was that there were sometimes physician leaders, sometimes administrators, but not necessarily in the specialty that they were overseeing. So it's key to have knowledgeable leaders driving the strategy. You also need to be able to collaborate and motivate. What would you say have been some leadership characteristics that have helped you in this first year? If I had to pick one, uh, it would be humility. Um, you know, we all have various visions of leaders, and, and I think in some of the best leaders are people who are kind of put in that position, not really noticing that's where they're at. But I, I took the role pretty seriously, did a lot of looking at, you know, books, good to great, that sort of thing. And if you look at one of the things that the organizations that can go from good organizations to great, there was a lot of emphasis on shared vulnerability. And I think that that historically could be perceived as a weakness and it's exactly the opposite. So I, you know, I've had the privilege of being the director of a couple of programs that by all accounts were, were, were solidly successful. And so you think that would give confidence in this new role and it does, but the reality is that this is an entirely different role. And, you know, I, I did not know what was going on in the day-to-day operations in our, in our, um, you know, in the offices in the, in Chambersburg or in the day-to-day operations in the OR in, in, uh, Good Samaritan or in Lebanon. And so when we went around our first round to talk to everybody, uh, I, a lot of people were like, hey, boss, you know, what is it we want to do? And I clearly had some ideas and some vision. But the first line was, tell me what's going on in your trench. I want to understand what's going on here. And in addition to saying, wow, they really want to know, it actually gives you a lot of – it has built a lot of trust. Because then when you do come back and say, this is where I see where we're at and this is what I've, the input I've gotten, you know, it, it gives – it's it, has, it garners you tremendous trust in that because they know you actually wanted to understand before you dictated something. So if I had to say one thing that's been helpful so far, at least from my perspective, was, was humility. Well, James, that's that's really awesome. Let's talk about those softer leadership skills that you mentioned. What do you think are some of the greatest benefits to the team when they're being led by a physician in their own specialty? You know, uh, back to the adage, it kind of takes one to know one, right? Um, Physicians are, like I said, no, let me rephrase that, all healthcare providers, they have a very vested interest in taking care of their patients. And, and, um, there's some degree of autonomy built into that. And if you're going to lead Mustangs, it helps to be a Mustang. And so I, what I would say, you talk about the softer leadership skills and that, you know, it, it, does it help? Does it give solid street credibility when I talk to an interventional cardiologist and they know that I'm an interventional cardiologist? Yes, but I, I, I certainly, you know, I, I hope it doesn't 
dissuade from the ability to understand what our cardiac surgeons do, what our non-invasive cardiologists do, what our vascular surgeons do, because you, you work with the same goal of taking care of patients. And so if I had to wrap that up into one thing, I would say that you, you seek first to understand. And first off, it's going to make you incredibly more effective in what you do. I can't count the times that I have in running a program have said, you know, I see the problem, I have the solution, only to find out that the people actually there making, doing, doing the work had a much better solution than I did. So it saves me a lot of time and it also gains you a lot of trust to seek first to understand and literally ask, tell me what's going on in your trench so I can understand that. And I would, that's not just for healthcare, I'd argue that's for, for leadership in general. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. You know, as you know, especially after the last few months, healthcare organizations are incredibly complex and working across matrix organizations requires relationships built on trust, similar to the trust you talked about with your dyad partner. When we build trusting teams, we can solve the really tough challenges that we face today in healthcare and also achieve some incredible innovations. I'd be remiss if I didn't congratulate you on your most recent accomplishment. Just a few weeks ago, you and your team completed another milestone clinical trial. Thank you. We did, and we are proud of it. We're, we're, we're blessed to get to do it. We put in uh, – there's a, an investigational device that's uh, still under investigation with the FDA. Uh, it's called the Accurate Neo2 device. We were the first uh, to put this device in uh, in southeastern Pennsylvania. Uh, Maybe broader than that. I know that for sure. And it's uh, and the patient went home the next day and they're doing great, by the way. And I, I tell you what's great about it. And I, I tell everybody I love being involved in research, but I say if you have a statistics project, I'm not your guy. But if you want a team, and it's our team, to tell you how to take an existing valve, make it better, figure out a better way to do it, or help you design this one, which I'm proud to say two years ago we talked about this valve and said, you know, this and this, if this could be this way, this is how it would be. And that's what we just put in this patient. And it's exciting. And we've been lucky. We've been able to do this from the beginning. We were involved in the, you know, for those who don't know, you know, I, I'm kind of known as the TAVR guy, the transcatheter valve, which means non-surgical valve replacement. And so we've been able to be, and WellSpan supported us to be involved in the investigational work before these were. Now it's kind of, I mean, actually coming up is the 20th anniversary for TAVR. But it's hard to remember when this was an investigational device and we got to be involved in it and we got to offer the cutting edge therapy. Then you found the things that were good, the things that could be improved. We're on our third generation now, and this is hopefully what's going to be the fourth generation. I will take this as a plug to say it is the 20th anniversary of TAVR. CRT, Cardiovascular Research Technologies, has a conference every year. Um, they wanted to highlight TAVR, and so they picked a couple places around the world to demonstrate the modern-day use of the valve. There'll be a group this Saturday out of Leipzig, Germany, showing how to put in a balloon expandable valve, and there's a group you've heard of in York, Pennsylvania, at Wellspan York Hospital, doing a live case demonstration on how to demonstrate uh, the modern-day technique that we helped develop for self-expanding valves. So excited wow, about it. Wow, that is just amazing. Congratulations to you, you and the team. It's a perfect example of what we can achieve with fantastic physician leaders. And you know, I've often had clinicians ask me too, as a nurse, why I made the shift from patient care to leadership. Through leadership, we know we can impact hundreds, if not thousands of lives, rather than just one at a time. Both are important. Both are needed. Uh, but it's part of what motivated me to move into increasing leadership roles. What's your motivation, James? You said it. Um, I'm a clinical guy by nature. That's what I do. That's what I've always been. And if you asked me a year ago, would I be in this position? I would have laughed uh, because I, 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 I treat patients. That's what I like to do. And that's what I, that's what I set out to do. When the, this position came up, and I'll say this also to anybody looking at a potential leadership position, you know, there's a lot of myth and there's a lot of fact. And, and in the end, what kind of sold it for me was I realized that not, I'm not not going to take care of patients. In fact, I still get to take care of patients, not the same degree that I did. Um, but in the end of the day, I get, you know, you get to what we trained to do was to help take care of people. 
this job allows me to help people help people and, and help them take care of people. And when you really look at it that way, that was the motivation, the actual not, – not belief or not kind of idea, but the very fact that my job now is to help other uh, healthcare people take care of the people in our state and I can do it exponentially. And that, that was – you know, I'm just grateful that, that God put me in a position to do it. So, oh, that's, that's awesome. Well, to fellow physicians who might be considering a leadership role, what advice would you give them? And is there anything that has surprised you about leadership that you didn't expect? <laughs> a lot, a lot has surprised me. Um, so, regarding the first part, you know, what advice would I give somebody? If you're if you're starting to get the bug, you might as well go into it because you're not going to be able to ignore it. Uh, the the you know, if you're considering it and wondering it, what I would say is that you you get to be more impactful than you thought. You do not lose. In fact, I would argue you are far more valuable to the health system if you don't lose your clinical stripes. Um, but it's, it, you know, if you're starting to get that little bug, you might as well go in because you're going to. I, I, I said, no, I'm not going to do it. And that lasted all of about six weeks. Um, but to, I would argue also, or, or I would, I would offer as advice to, to people who are going into it or make the decision to go into it to, to recognize that, you know, I, so I, you know, I'm proud of what we do with, with our, our, our cardiac patients. But I also, you know, started medical school in 1999 and I finished in 2012. And there's a reason for that. I, if nothing else, have had excellent training in doing that job. And I went into an entirely different job that I had very little training at. And yet I kept the same expectation I did in every other part of my life. And so what I would say is recognize that this is a new field. It's awesome. It's the next phase of evolution in your life if this is what you choose to do. But recognize also that as a provider, we, we are, it's not trained this way, but inherently we're wired to say asking for help is a weakness. And I would argue that the exact opposite is true. Recognizing what you don't know is could be your greatest strength. I have not only one, no, I have two coaching slash consultants in, in, in not just in healthcare management, but also in, in, in complex organizations, which by definition, in fact, one of the, one of the people I work with helped with joint sheets of staffs, like groups deciding how to do plans going into Afghanistan and said, I've never seen anything more complicated in healthcare. And I said, yeah, you know, you're right. The point is it's fantastic. You get to do a lot of great good, but don't, uh, in fact, expect to recognize that you're not going to know uh, a lot of stuff, and that's okay. Uh, just recognize that you don't know and, and know where to, to look for help. That is really great advice, James. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. That's all the time we have for today. We hope you'll join us for the next episode of Inspiring Health.